A moment of silence. The clock strikes twice, then once. Since coming to London, I have resided in Bromfield Street, my dear lady. How curious that is, how bizarre. I too, since coming to London, I have resided in Bromfield Street, my dear sir. How curious that is. Well then, well then, perhaps we have seen each other in Bromsfield Street, my dear lady. How curious that is, how bizarre. It is indeed possible, after all, but I do not recall it, my dear sir. I reside at number 19, my dear lady. How curious that is. I also reside at number 19, my dear sir. Well then, well then, well then, well then. Perhaps we have seen each other in that house, dear lady. It is indeed possible, but I do not recall it, dear sir. My flat is on the fifth floor, number eight, my dear lady. How curious it is. Good Lord, how bizarre and what a coincidence. I too reside on the fifth floor in flat number eight, dear sir. How curious it is. How curious it is. How curious it is. And what a coincidence. Then, madam, we live in the same room and we sleep in the same bed, dear lady. It is perhaps there that we have met. How curious it is, and what a coincidence. It is indeed possible that we have met there, and perhaps even last night. But I do not recall it, dear sir. I have a little girl, my little daughter. She lives with me, dear lady. She is two years old. She's blonde. She has a white eye and a red eye. She is very pretty. Her name is Alice, dear lady. What a bizarre coincidence. I, too, have a little girl. She is two years old, has a white eye and a red eye. She is very pretty. And her name is Alice, too, dear sir. How curious it is. And what a coincidence. And bizarre. Perhaps they are the same, dear lady. How curious it is. It is indeed possible, dear sir. A rather long moment of silence. The clock strikes 29 times. The theater, the theater. Theater, theater. To be or not to be. Theater, theater. Do that sexy dance again, Bailey. No one can see it. It's got a lot of arms. It's got a lot of arms. It's got like an orangutan kind of feel to it. Like, it you know, but I don't, it's sexy. It's yeah. a sexy orangutan kind of thing. I don't mean that disparagingly. It's just that they often will... It's a orangutanganal. It's a orangutanganal. This is great audio content. It yeah, is. And, and you have to like, you have to make your eyes, you have to like kind of do the sexy eyes <sighs> and like kind of pout your lips while you do it. Wet your okay. lips. Now, now wet, your, wet your lips just a little bit. Well, you're the sexy there one we in go. this podcast. There we go. Thing. There we go. Absolutely. Sure. I mean, sure. You're yeah. the sexy I'll take one. It. I'll take it. You're the vagistrate. He's I'm the, the Florian. And I'm the, the sex pot. <laughs> you're our honey pot. I'm the sex pot. Yeah. I'm a honey pot. <laughs> American honey, baby. <laughs> hey, um, we're recording today on uh, International Masturbation Day. It Go is out there and flick your beans, y'all. Do it. Stroke get it and in there. get it on there, you know. Yeah. 
Look and unrepress that repression. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. A, it's a, it's healthy to indulge. I mean, I guess and there's the, many cultures around the world, and you know, because of religion and stuff, that would say no. But what? I think most modern psychiatrists would say, "Go yank go it, flick for it. it, go yeah. for flick it, flick it, dad, shoot, flick it, hump it, rub it, twist it." Whatever Slap you bop it. Slap it. Bop it. Bop it. Here's the thing. Twist it. Twist it. Uh. <laughs> um, it's also, masturbation is also a huge theme of our podcast in general. <laughs> um, well, it is certainly masturbatory. <laughs> oh, yeah, we have we've been masturbating for over a year now. <laughs> yeah. Together, together <laughs> and sometimes with guests. <laughs> Guys, we forgot to mention theme park theater was our exact to the day <gasps> one year anniversary of doing what? what happy anniversary you guys happy anniversary happy, happy anniversary. anniversary i'm so glad that we're like famous and have so many followers and uh reviews and stuff so hey thanks guys we made <laughs> nice. it here because of y'all because of you our wonderful <laughs> listeners i'm sorry i'm sorry to everyone that has hung in there the whole time never been a lot of people we got a lot of folks that have you know been coming coming hey, yeah we just crossed the sixteen thousand listeners threshold that's pretty oh yeah cool. yeah listens 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 not not <laughs> listeners right right but it could have been you know four, listen could have been people. five people it could have been it just, it just came yeah. <laughs> just, it's, just, it's just us we've got it set for three seasons and i'm not finishing until we get there that's right but if you are here and you're real and you're not a bot or cj or scott <laughs> Or our, parents. or our welcome. parents. Uh, welcome <laughs> to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater people made by three theater nerds from the L.A. theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Burcham. I'm C.J. Merriman. And I am Scott Leggett. And each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights by taking a macro look at three of their works. And mm. this week we begin our new mini-series covering the works of Eugene Inesco, Ionesco, Ionesco, Ion S. Poe. Yeah. That's right. It's I am I am Peshpo. Um that's right. It's I'm calling, him, I'm calling him Gene, and that's how it's gonna stay. Gene. Gene. Um but the name of the, the miniseries is Rhinocercast. And this is yes, episode it's one. a good one. This is a great one. We will be discussing the works The Bald Soprano, mm-hmm. The Chairs, mm-hmm. and Rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if y'all noticed this, but I added in a little something to the intro. Oh. Oh. Did you see that? I said by taking a macro look. <gasps> yes, yes. At three of their works. Now mm-hmm. here's the you thing. You said micro look. Macro. macro. No, he said but, macro. I oh, said Jesus. macro. Okay. Sorry, y'all. I have a, a insane size complex, so I know I said macro. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Happy International Masturbation Day. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, doesn't matter what size, everybody. That's right. Size doesn't matter. It's the motion in the ocean. I really I, I've gotten a few people who listen who really love the show, but then they're always like, I just feel like you could have really dug into that play. And I'm like, yes, we could have. And then not <laughs> talked about the other two or anything to do with with the author. And what we're really trying to do here is sort of nerd out on the playwright and like honor the playwright. And that's why we talk about the evolutions and we don't take a fine tooth comb to every play we don't do a micro you know dissection where we're like okay this exact line means this and there are podcasts out there that do that you should go check them out or just read the play and figure it out yourself 
Also, we should say we're not the end all beat all of all of these opinions. Sometimes Absolutely people have not. Yes, we are. Yeah, sure. <laughs> CJ. Why are you trying to get our <laughs> listeners to leave? No, I'm not. I'm trying to get them to understand that this that you can go read these plays and form your own opinions on them and not everything we say is law, right? Like that's kind of the best part about no, theater. I, it's it's sub totally subjective and I always felt like our big thing is to inspire people to either go discover something or rediscover something. Oh yeah. Like, Agreed. I mean, I've gotten to discover a lot of great things. Sarah Kane was probably my favorite discovery. I yeah. didn't love her, but didn't know her. But then the rediscovery of stuff has just like been, we've mm -hmm. all kind of just sat aghast and gone, Oh man, we forgot about, you know, Arthur Miller. We forgot about, I Chekhov. forgot about Williams. Williams. I forgot about Williams. Sitting yeah. aghast. You know, so Maybe it's yeah. be inspired people. And yeah, go read these <laughs> plays. Round, round um, <laughs> but today we're taking a macro look <laughs> at the bold soprano, the chairs and rhinoceros. But before we do that, um, <laughs> I don't know what that voice was. Actually. I loved <laughs> it's it. It's great. Keep it. Was it like, keep I'm like, it. Oh, con, what if I did the whole podcast like this? <laughs> um, but before we do anything else, I'm going to throw it over to Scotch, my good friend, for some... Scottpedia. We're, hey, that, hey we that's a great stinger. We, we, we yes, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's a good stinger, and we should say that <laughs> Easter egg. That if you listen to our Hansberry, um, our Lorraine Hansberry series, which part two, part two specifically, uh, yeah, you hear us very clearly say insert stinger here, <gasps> and Scott didn't do it. Like I had it ready. I know exactly what happened. Like I have it mapped out in my head what happened. <laughs> I may have been a little high. Yeah. And <laughs> what? Nice to say it went out into the ether with us clearly saying insert stinger here. And you know, I offered, I offered to edit it, and Scott said, you know. <laughs> well, and actually, just own it. Own your shit. That's Scott, my, we're that's here my for your day. intervention. For your well, intervention. Yeah. <laughs> it's fair. No, in, in all reality, I think it's it's um, it's good to own your mistakes. Yeah. And it, if we've learned anything from 2020 and 2021, it's that we should all uh, tell each other exactly how we feel. So I'm going to tell you, Scott. Mm. Um, that really pissed me off. <laughs> okay. I threw chairs. I threw the chairs. Did you? The chair. Ooh, the topical. <laughs> topical. Um, this... But while we're at it, we already did. Oh, go ahead. Scott. Well, well, I just, you know, listen, we here at Theater Theater admit to our mistakes and uh, mess ups. Hence, we have the original Tracy Letts and Arthur Miller and Christopher Durang episodes up still. So go what listen to them. Those, yeah, those are, are bad. They're fun. <laughs> they're fun. And we're learning. Like, it was a whole learning experience. So I'm not, yeah. I don't regret it at all. Season one in general has some clunkers, but we were doing our best and we loved each other fucking hard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we did. It's true. <laughs> and it got us through a crazy time in, American, in uh, world yeah, history. Yeah. I don't know why I said American. No. I'm so Western centrist, and that's what we're going to be. We're going to get we're into all it. that matters. Um, uh, can we, why don't we, just for the sake of it, because I feel like we ruined it. Scottpedia. 
double stingers. <laughs> okay, guys, you ready for this? Yes. All right. Eugene Skippy Ionesco. That's not really his name, but I'm going to call him. Oh, that'd be cute. Right? Uh, was born in Slatina, Romania. There's a lot of Romanian names coming up here in the next couple of seconds. Slatina? That, uh, that I am not. Uh, Slatina. Uh, L-A-T-I-N-A. Slatina. <laughs> you were just hoping it was Slatina. Now you have... Now you it's have. True. Now you have a fictional... World. It's where my land build, is. Yeah, you can build your from world. the land of Slatina. The castle in Slatinia. <laughs> where all the slats live. <laughs> all the slats the live. Slats. slats. <laughs> Party tonight, slats. Slats. Oh my God, we're keeping it for life <laughs> forever. Um, yeah, so I think we should. Just... I think we should retire the the horror joke since that word. I'm a slat. I think you're just a slat. Just a slat. You're chain smoking <laughs> slat. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, his father was Romanian, uh, belonging to the Orthodox Christian Church, and his mother was of French and Romanian heritage. He spent most of his childhood in France, and while there had an experience, he claimed affected his perception of the world more significantly than anything else. Quote, walking in summer sunshine in a whitewashed provincial village under an intense blue sky, Ionesco was profoundly altered by the light. He was struck very suddenly with a feeling of intense luminosity, the feeling of floating off the ground in an overwhelming feeling of well-being. When he floated, quote-unquote, back to the ground and the light, quote-unquote, left him, he saw that the real world, in comparison, was full of decay, corruption, and meaningless re repetitive action. This also coincided with the revelation that death takes everyone in the end. He was a charmer. Um, much of his later life reflecting this new perception demonstrates a disgust for the tangible world, a distrust of communication, and the subtle sense that a better world lies just beyond our reach. Um, after spending uh, much of his youth in France, he returned to Romania with his father and mother in 1925. Uh, his parents divorced soon after. Um, uh -huh. He... Yeah, right. He uh, he attended a Saint Savard National College, um, where he studied French literature and the University of Bucharest from 1928 to 1930 feet, 1933, mm. and qualified as a teacher in French. Hence, most of his work is written in French. You guys remember uh, the 30s? Yeah, like a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> They're anyway, coming up again. Yeah. They're coming oh up God. again. <laughs> yeah. Um, he wrote, um, so most of his plays are written in French, uh, but most of his analytical work and, and academic work was written in Romanian. Um, in 1936, Ionesco married Rodica Berlanu. Ah, I got it. Nice. Berlinu. Uh, together they had one daughter, Marie-France Ionesco, uh, for whom he wrote a number of unconventional children's stories. Can you imagine what the fuck Ionesco's children's <laughs> stories are like? <laughs> Dear Lord. Um, but, I don't know, uh, but we should do an N stuff on it. Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe uh, they they, they got to be out there. Uh, with his family, he returned to France in 1938 to complete his doctoral thesis. 1938, not a great year to be in France because of, uh, you know, 
Nazis. Yeah. I hate these guys. <laughs> so caught by They're the outbreak, right? <laughs> uh, caught by the outbreak of World War II in 1939, he returned to Romania, but soon changed his mind and, with the help of friends, obtained travel documents, which allowed him to return to France in 1942, where he remained during the rest of the war, living in Marseille, before moving with his family to Paris after its liberation. Though best known as a playwright, plays were not his first chosen medium. He started writing poetry and criticism, publishing in several Romanian journals. Two early writings of note are Ni, N-U, Ni, Ni, a book criticizing uh, many writers. The Knights Who Say? That's Ni. The Knights Who Say Ni. But these are Ni. But most notably, he took uh, he took into his crosshairs the grotesque and tragic life of Victor Hugo, uh, a satirical right. biography mocking Victor Hugo's status as a great figure in French literature. <laughs> Writer yeah. of Les Mis. Yeah, it's like, it's like, fuck you, Les Mis. But he basically, uh, it contains um, his retellings of uh, Hugo's most scandalous episodes, and it contains prototypes for UNESCO's later themes, the ridiculous authoritarian <laughs> character, the false worship of language fuck mm. you les mis is basically what he was <laughs> and basically let's see he began his theater career later in life he did not write his first play until 1948 which was the bold soprano oh. or, uh, i'm not gonna try it uh, like shaw and brecht <laughs> Uh, Ionesco contributed to the theater with his theoretical writings. Ionesco wrote mainly in attempts to correct critics whom he felt misunderstood his work and therefore wrongly influenced his audience. Mm. Um, and then probably his most profound quote about theater is, uh, theater is not literature. It is simply what cannot be expressed by any other means. Um, he was, of course, uh, a member of the, or considered a member of the Theater of the Absurd, which is kind of a fucked up label as we understand it. It was a label that was created by a critic named Martin Eslin. I think we talked about that a little bit. I have that book Beckett. we've talked yeah. about. Yeah, we talked about yeah. it with Beckett. And Beckett. also, right. I, because you say that, and we'll get into this later a little bit, but it makes me rethink how we sort of talked about uh, Sign and Sidney Burstie's window mm. being sort of an answer to the absurd isn't right right yes while working on Ionesco and I was like maybe yeah we'll get into that yeah absolutely surreal almost a little more more than absurd sure yeah well the thing was is that it wasn't a movement like surrealism or dadaism where folks were hanging out in cafes and bars together like Beckett Beckett knew Ionesco they knew they all knew Sartre they but they didn't hang together they weren't like buddies um but But contemporaries Right. And and absurd is based on the Albert Camus idea of what definition is of what is absurd. It's yeah. Even, yeah. So it's kind of a weird thing anyway. Uh, but the book by Eslin is good. Anyway, it is. It, it's great. You know, um, I'll end with this and we'll wrap up uh, Scottopedia. Um, Ionesco wrote, death is our main problem and all others are less important. It is the wall and the limit. It is the only inescapable alienation. It gives us a sense of our limits, but the ignorance of ourselves and of others to which we are condemned is just as worrying. In the final analysis, we don't know what we're doing. Nevertheless, in all of my work, there is an element of hope and an appeal to others. Uh, he died at age 84 on March 28th, 1994. Oh, wow. wow. Recently. Well, yeah. I mean, that was 27 years ago now, but. but yeah, yeah. But yeah, he. Uh, wow. 
He was sort of the thing. And I found that in, that quote really interesting. And I'd mentioned Sarah Kane earlier. She's just somebody that's been on my mind. Um, I just in doing my research, I'd seen a few references to, you know, who were the most significant dramatists of, of the 20th century, you know, with most most critics, you know, putting Beckett on that list and that sort of thing. And the idea and we talked about it on our Sarah Kane episode, but that every one of her plays, despite all of the violence and the intensity and all that, all had a basis of hope, all had a basis of uh, love for humanity, uh, and I, I think she's one of the great losses in the history of theater. I think that she was on the verge of, I mean, what she left us was fantastic, but she was on the verge of fucking Absolutely. redefining a language, I thought. But you right. can feel the Ionesco in her work totally. after reading Totally, oh, these. totally, totally. Like, holy crap. I actually have a whole point to make on that, because she just kept flying through my mind, blasted in particular. Mm-hmm. Kept flying yeah. through my mind with the themes of, of cleansed. Mm-hmm. Right, oh, like, I get those you. two yeah. things were kind of really racing through my mind the whole time, and I'm excited to get into that. Um, was that all of Scottopedia? That's quite a bit. Yes, yeah, so thank you for enduring. Eighty-four in ninety-four. Yeah, that's great. Um, um, yeah, he was. He was. He was, and he had a great reputation. Like we think of Ionesco, and it's this heavy thing. But apparently, he was a pretty cool dude to hang out with, and you yeah. know, he was a pretty loving father, and and that sort of thing. And hmm. he and Love that. just worked. He just he worked. saw some fucking shit too. <laughs> he was it. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was really in it. Especially like we'll get into it when we get into rhinoceros in part 2, but just being in Romania and being in academia in Romania. Hmm. Uh, as fascism, fascism is rising and the Nazis are spreading. What, literati? Is that what they called them? Yeah. But the weird thing was is that they ended up becoming sort of reactionary, the academia did, as opposed mm. to going left, which you would think they would. But what was happening was that the economies were crashing. So these university kids were finishing up school and there was no fucking work there were no jobs so of like course i all got of, out of college <laughs> so of course all of their energy is like oh it's foreigners it's them it's this it's oh, that and and how quickly it, it rose yeah i mean horrible but interesting yeah absolutely so what is y'all's context with Ionesco. Have you been in an Ionesco, Ionesco? What are we calling him? Ionesco? Is that right? I've heard it both. I think, yeah. uh, you know. Ionesco's uh, great. Yeah, it sounds nice yeah, out whoever. of my mouth. I, I, uh, I had a British teacher who did who did say Ionesco. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of like Godot or Gado. Yeah. That kind Ionesco of Ionesco has a nice mouthfeel, so I'm going to stay with Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> National Masturbation Day. Oh, mouthfeel. Mouthfeel. Um, <laughs> but what have y'all what have y'all experienced in the Ionesco vein? I've only I read Rhinoceros when I was in school and then um I it I just remembered that I saw a production of Exit the King. I can't even tell you it was a couple years ago here in LA. Um our friend Pat Town directed it, Aaron Matthews was in it, Joe Melinda Bennett was in it, and it was mm -hmm. at the um Yes, that is the book. Uh it was I have at, it. <laughs> it was at the um Young Actors Theater. Uh mm -hmm. um 
<laughs> well, Pat Town had a funny joke about that, but I should maybe not say that. Um, okay. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't remember a whole lot about it except it's a theater I've never been in before. It was a really cool small space, and and I mean, Aaron and Jill were great because they're always great, and the costumes were awesome. But that is about all I remember from that play. Word, word. Um, I didn't discover him until later, till college. I was mm. introduced to him in college. I think I, you know, I certainly knew the name, and I'd known Beckett by that point. I'd gotten nerdy about Sam Beckett, but uh, I didn't really discover him until college. Um, I did do some scene work from Exit the King and Bald Soprano. We did some scene work and that kind of thing. But then I ended up seeing. I've seen all three of the plays that we're going to discuss. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Uh, I've seen two productions of Rhinoceros, one that wasn't so great. Um, I mean, it's hard work. It's, it's really... Yeah. I'm and, stoked and, to hear about those productions. And the theatrically, they're really complicated. Yeah. Like, I yeah. was thinking about just reading the stage directions, which are dense, and, and we'll go into this more, but, I, you know, we talk a lot about stage directions because I think... Sometimes playwrights do themselves a disservice and fuck up their rhythms in, in terms of reading a play and getting that energy. And I, I do put that on him a little bit uh, with him, with some of his, the details of his stage directions. Mm -hmm. But just the sound effects, like I'm thinking about like 1950, all the the sound effects that he has going on in, in some of these shows, like there's no cassettes or nothing. You're doing reel to reel, maybe right. even actual vinyl. You've maybe actually pressed vinyl for your sound effects. You have a Foley artist in the back. Yeah. You have a Foley artist in the back. Absolutely. It's yeah. all of that stuff. And, um, but, and, and just things like the dust and, you know, you know, staircases falling and yeah, I'm interested to talk about practicality and, and yeah. actually doing a cool production of rhinoceros. I, um, the, I had a block just reading that play. I saw it at city garage in Santa Monica. Mm. Gosh, it had to have been the early two thousands. Like it's been 10 or 15 years and it was a really well done production and they, All right. they kept it minimal. I, I recall that they used, uh, they used projections a little bit, especially for a lot of the rhinoceros, uh, appearances and sort of like, they had like one, like run by a window in the background, um, which was, isn't described exactly like that in, in the stage directions, but it's, it was cool to, to see that. And then they did do some really nice work with building some of the heads and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, that was a really good production. I saw another one that was done at a university level that had a lot of money, but you know, it, it, and I'm not knocking university stuff at all, but it was a bunch of college kids and it's like, I don't know if they, they all got it and it was, it felt long. The one I mm. saw at City Garage went really quickly. It felt like it flew and there was an act. Mm. It, it cranked. Um, I've seen a really, really good, funny bald soprano, which you can do pretty much anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty easy. Um, yeah. I, I saw in Chicago, it was a marvelous production, uh, just fantastic performances all around. Uh, and then I've seen uh, The Chairs twice. Wow. Twice, yeah. One time was, um, mm. unfortunately, uh, the actors were maybe a little too old, and you could tell there was a lot of memory issues and there was oh, a lot man. of like, 
just sort of losing it and not having it and like finding it again and it kind of dragged on a little bit but then i saw another one where it was you know probably actors in their 60s that aged themselves up a little bit uh and that cranked like that was like it felt like i guess it was like an hour maybe maybe wow. an hour yeah when so, i looked that up online it was like about 90 minutes because i was just curious yeah i can't i can't remember the exact thing but i remember not being there's obviously no act break but i remember not being bored at all i thought the 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 their space work like was extraordinary and the timing cool. was just awesome and they just you could tell they were having a blast and pouring mm. sweat i loved it that's great bailey what about I, you i'm rambling no i saw um i saw a production of the chairs once in a kansas city basement yeah that's fun uh no rights paid or anything i don't even think you have to pay for rights for that anymore but it might be public domain but it um maybe not there might be an inesco foundation but her drama says i don't fucking know um there is a there is a an overseer yeah his plays are hard to find online that to me is usually an indication you have to pay for the plays so yeah i did find a couple translations of rhino for free just pdfs randomly on google but the other two are a little harder but um uh i saw it it was fun it was good i was sort of like oh cool that's interesting i think i was like 19 um and then at hogwarts i when working (laughs) in the restricted section i found uh, for new listeners who don't know, I did I did go to Hogwarts. I am a Slytherin, and I uh, nothing about the books or the movies is right. You're all it's all wrong. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a theater school, first of all. It's a performing arts college. Clearly, uh, yeah. Um, but there is a restricted section, and there is magic and dragons, and all the other things are real. But um, I found uh, Exit the King, which okay. is here. Uh, which I was then given when I left, I got to choose like two plays I wanted to take with me. And I took that. And um, I think the Sam Shepard book with cowboy mouth in it, that mm-hmm. suicide and B flat and those other things. Uh, and, but I've never read exit the King uh, all the way through because I've never finished it, uh, <laughs> which is why I took it. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm going to finish this someday. I still have never done it. So it sits here. Uh, I've never read it. I'm sure it's great. Uh, and then I have this book that has uh, The Bald Soprano, The Lesson, Jack or the Submission, and The Chairs. Oh, I have the exact That's same. That's the one I bought yeah, on it's like Apple. the one that yeah, people tend to have. I have um, the rhinoceros version of that. And oh, I own cool. it, and it's annotated um, because I was in The Lesson, a student-directed... Oh, were you? A really bad student-directed version of The Lesson. Um where we really pushed the sexual nature of it. And it was, um, it was a lesson in- The lesson? The lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Was it it just uh, uh, students overreaching or- that is the best way to say it. It's just young horny people being horny. Yeah, the director of this might listen to this podcast, so I love you dearly, um, Trevor. But this was, um, it was, uh, 
we learned some lessons doing the lesson because there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you're working male, female sexuality on stage with people with uh, specifically sure. when one of those people is not super comfortable with the other right. and things. So it was just, a, it was a lesson and we learned things. Yeah. Um, that's, and I'm not going to say any more than that. We've but all been there. That's for sure. I was uncomfortable with the other person. So it wasn't that I'm a creep. <laughs> um, that's all I'll say about it. Um, Everyone else was bad. It wasn't me. No, I didn't say bad. I no, I know. I bad. know. Um, it was just a bad situation in general. We can cut all that out. All I want to say is uh, <laughs> I was in the lesson. It was fine. Um, uh, and then also uh, I saw some scenes from things because people tend to choose these scenes for scene studies or like director studies mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like i've done a lot of in college but also outside of that where i was like oh i'm gonna go direct a scene and somebody always chose something either from bald soprano or the chairs because just like the scene y'all did at the top of this episode bravo by the way bravo. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it it's so easy to like have fun with that as a director and as actors because it's repetitive and it's it's silly and it's Python. It's Monty Python esque, and mm-hmm. it's yeah. It, and we'll I get mean, into all that, but yeah. I, I like him, and I I think I'm. I've only now read uh, the three that I had never read those three all the way through. I had just seen those scenes from them, right. so this is new to me, and I'm I'm really pumped to talk about it. This right really on, fun. yeah. Right it's on. um, it's he's he's his own thing. He's uh, I should say that I feel. I'm a huge, I'm a Beckett devotee. I'm a Beckett stan. What? And he's not quite as big yet. What? Because <laughs> uh, never he shut up about him. He doesn't quite hit those those high notes for me uh, mm-hmm. in his overall work. I should also say you brought up Exit the King. There's a fantastic interview with Jeffrey Rush <gasps> a few years ago talking about his experience doing it. And I, I highly recommend so it to, to any theater nerd. Like, it's just an actor, a master craftsman really talking smart about it. But yeah, it was the influences that I noticed this time way more than I had before. Wait, were you, were you just talking about, um, Casanova Frankenstein? What? From Mystery Men? Casanova? Yes. Rush? Is that a, oh, that's funny. Yeah. His best, his biggest credit. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. I like um, him at Shakespeare and Love. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I noticed the influences much more this time. Like, yeah, you can see the line from the bald soprano to Python to Pinter, you know, sure. who was working at the same time. And, and that humor that I think maybe the British, maybe Europeans get it in a way that we don't. Americans don't. We are absurd, so we don't necessarily understand absurdism quite that much. Sure. It definitely I mean? has a vintage feel. I'll say that reading these plays. Uh, what do you mean by vintage? I mean, and maybe it is, maybe it is a European versus American type of thing, but it's like, I was like, this is absurdism when they were the only people doing it. And now I feel like people do absurdism, if you want to call it that, which we've already discussed that that's complicated to call Mm. it that. I don't feel like people do that anymore it's different oh i get you yeah i get you it's turned up a notch it's more absurd it's like it's almost like now it's only sketch comedy that's a good point in a way like i don't know that i've seen anything besides maybe like i don't know recently i like i guess maybe parasite fits into a more Mm. of like Mm -hmm. an absurd version of Mm. i don't know because what is absurd i I don't know i think you know you can see 
influences like on stuff like being John Malkovich. Sure, of um, course. Those yeah. kinds of things. Well, the um, 90s is full of that. Yeah. Kind of sh- and yeah, well, yeah. Kaufman in general, but yeah. Kaufman was, yeah. K- oh, Kaufman man, was Andy King Kaufman. Was... I could talk about him for days. But speaking of, no, Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman. And Andy oh. Kaufman. You can talk and about Andy Kaufman. <laughs> <laughs> both, yeah. All the Kaufmans, man. Um, but no, but speaking of Beckett, you know, you can see, you can see where Anesco is also sort of picking up a little bit of Beckett's flow. In oh, for some sure. Ways. Oh, for sure. And Beckett is like kind of writing from this alien perspective in a way of where you're watching it sort of like, is this somebody who doesn't know anything about society, but he's talking about things that are in our mind? Whereas I do feel like Ionesco, and maybe this is why he, he isn't like hitting the high notes, as you say, is a bit more tangible. Hmm. There seems to be he. I think the difference for me is. Let me see if I can get this because they're both trying to understand human complexity. I just think they do right. it differently. I think that what Beckett does is that he's able to set his things in an alternate universe that yeah. allows you to get a fuller perspective. Ionesco is writing is 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 trying to show you the the absurdism of what's here right now it's he's trying to do it in this same universe kind of and so beckett's theme beckett's themes become beckett's becomes more universal bigger it's more timeless than ionesco's ionesco's feels a little trapped in in its time and place i don't mean that entirely negatively i think that the chairs for example could be will be done in a hundred years and still endure, but not quite the same way that Beckett is for I me, think, for me. I, well, and I think, um, I feel like his stuff is almost a little bit more and, and certain chair, the chairs is a little bit different, but his stuff is a little bit more kitchen sink. It's like, it's like the meaninglessness or the frustration of, um, uh, being married or, um, being in a small town mm-hmm. and, do you fit in? Do you try to be an individual? And, um, you know, people just talking about stupid day-to-day bullshit when fascism is creeping in, you know? I mean, I felt I felt like it was a little bit more making fun of just day-to-day life and not seeing the forest for the trees type of thing. It is a bit um, more that's, that's, of that's, the that's time. Interesting. Yeah. But, and I think, you know, and I think that there's a place for that, right? There's a place for, let's talk about right now and of this time. I think, um, but in some ways, Beckett, is and this goes to both of your points beckett is talking about one thing sort of he's expounding on one idea or one human complexity one existential thought through an entire play mm, whereas yeah. maybe ionesco is going a little kitchen sink everything yeah he does he does cover a lot of grounds where he's like here's yeah. all the things i feel about everything right now all of it here it is and i'm also fucking with language and form fuck you <laughs> right, yeah. right 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 yeah, yeah. Agree. Like, agree which i think maybe is a more kind of bailey aesthetic <laughs> i i do i think there's a little i i i don't i don't disagree with anything you're saying scott or cj i'm sort of like yeah yeah, and I think I kind of dig it. I'm excited to get oh, into yeah. it. I think yeah, Ionesco and... would approve of this conversation. Yeah. You would say we. Absolu- oui. Absolutely. Exactement. Shall we... Do we want to get into the... Let's talk first... about... Let's talk about Bald Soprano. Uh, okay, so <laughs> a show starring one Bald Soprano. Oh, wait. There's not one. 
Uh, Bald Soprano. Hey, CJ. CJ's Breakdown. A French play that makes fun of English people. The Smiths invite the Martins over to hang. Repetitive conversation, a verbal battle of the sexes, emotional abuse of the of the maid, and the entrance of a clueless fire chief ensues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, I Maybe I'm misremembering uh, from your Scottopedia, uh, but we keep saying French. Is he French or Romanian? He oh, is. Right. He is Romanian by birth, but his oh. most of his childhood, most of his life is spent in France, and he his got mother it, got was it, got it, got it. his mother was split. So got it. I I think I also just that opening um, setting for it was like an English home, an English couple in an English town sitting. They in did their not English want chairs. you to forget that it was English. Yeah, yeah, and it's like French people love making fun of English people, and vice versa. So. Sure. And I mean, I mean, even outside of that generality, I think it's just kind of like, like hilarious to be like, it's English. It's so English. Everything's so English. Because even to an American, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or probably anywhere in the world. It's just like, it's just so it's it's an English pipe with English fucking tobacco. And it's Eng and he's like rolling his eyes as he writes. It's like it's an Englishman with English shit. It's so yeah. English. <laughs> it is so English, y'all. It's super white. That's right. basically what he's saying. Yes. Like, yes. It's a white dude with white shit. He's got white stuff in his house. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he wrote this because he was trying to learn English. And he did. He was following a specific method of learning English where he was trying to kind of learn it phonetically and by weird sentences. And so in studying these weird sentences that were part of this course that he was studying, he sort of tripped onto the absurdity of it. So he wasn't necessarily aiming directly to make fun of the English, but as a Frenchman, you know, uh, or as a French citizen, well, it, it wasn't going to hurt. But he was and sort it of, it was more sort of a general uh, swipe at middle class life. Right. As, and in general, it's sort of a language farce, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's fucking with language, dealing with language. Um, while also being self-described anti-play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved that. I mm -hmm. love that. Because yeah. it is, it just about is. Especially the ending. You're just like, oh no, this, you're right. This isn't a play. <laughs> There's no plot. It, it's, it's the it opposite cycles, of a play. It cycles around and, yeah. and all that. Do you guys and, know... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I have nothing. I was, did you guys know this holds the world record for... Check it out. Since 1957, it has been in permanent showing at the Théâtre de la Rochelle, which received a Moliere Award and all this stuff. It holds the world record for the play that has been staged continuously in the same theater for the longest time. Since but 1957. That's fascinating. I that's amazing, that. but it doesn't hold the record for most performances of a play no, ever, which no. is owned by Mousetrap. Mousetrap, yes. In oh. But, Agatha but Christie's. Or is it Agatha Christie? It's yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think they they do six performances a week of this yeah. from what I got, and huh. Mousetrap is doing eight at least. Yeah. How's yeah. the how long, How's the runtime on this? I mean, it's what, 45-page play? Anti-play? It's less than an hour. Okay. Like, yeah, I mean, fast. I guess that depends it's... on how long it's, you know, like a lot of plays we've read or even like three guys, one group on CJ. There's, you know, it's like, it depends on how long you want to sit in that silence. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. Absolutely. Pinter. 
Right? How long do you want that pinter pause to be? Right. Well, if you don't have pauses, it ain't pinter. So. Yeah, you don't pause, it ain't pinter. Then pregnant pauses. I'm going to get you pregnant pause. <laughs> um, pregnant what the pause. fuck was that? Um, no, but so this is, you know, we start out with Mr. and Mrs. Smith, not to be confused with the ad Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure Ionesco was referencing that movie when he named them. Um, it was a remake, that movie... I can't remember who did that's the original. True. That's true. You know, it's been. But I think that was in like the '60s or something. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it's kind of t- uh, the first openings, kind of like Blasted, which is why I started thinking of Blasted. The set is described as kind of like a parlor play, mm-hmm. like it's this kind of normal place, and we're gonna mm-hmm. have like a sitcom, and it's gonna be a sitcom, and this is gonna you know this place. Whereas Beckett, right, Good Doe. We don't know the we, void. No, we don't. Right, no, right. We don't know Endgame, that shack they're in. We're like, where is, what is happening? There's yeah. trash cans. Here, it's like, no, this is like a normal living room. There's English stuff. And you're like, you're like okay, yeah. so this is going to be a normal play. So right away, he's subverting your expectations with this conversation. Um, and the way y'all read it was ph- phenomenal, but it, go- it we talked about it before you did it about this kind of monotony or this monotone that they do. And it goes into this kind of Ionesco thing that I that I think is part of Uncanny Valley-ness, uh, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Which is the idea that, like, it's like with robots where you make a robot that's too human, then it's uh, it's weird for us. If you make one that's not human enough, it's weird for us. If you get kind of right in between, it's actually more like a zombie or like something you don't want to look at. Right. Um, so, there, you know, it's this weird threshold. And everything, especially in Bald Soprano, feels like this uncanny valley. Kind of like, are they human? Where are we? Are we in another dimension? Are we in... Are we in a, another version of us? Are these people just mentally ill? Are they the grandparents from M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit and they're sundowning? I don't know. What's happening? I weirdly felt like he was maybe making fun of Noel Coward plays. Absolutely. Parlor plays, like 100%. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just thought he was hardcore riffing on him. Well, and it's just I, referencing it right away by right. even just the set. It's like... We think that's what we're about to watch. Is yeah. <laughs> well, and then the private first thing, This is the, fucking English. Yeah. The first thing that happens in the play before they even start speaking at all is that the stri- the clock strikes seventeen times, <laughs> and then it does that. So he's 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 talking. You know, there's the, there's so many l- wonderful layers that you can pick apart. And this time, I really noticed it. That this idea that he's he's fucking around with time. The, the, he's talking about the construct of time and how it impairs us and limits us and and messes with our heads. And it's not real. Right. Time isn't real as we understand it. We've been conditioned to 24 hours, but that doesn't really exist. And um, there's a heady side of this too that's just like physic quantum physics in general is kind of like the basis mm-hmm. of this work like entropy is kind of a big part of the whole thing like like okay specifically like the the dog and the rooster stuff right okay mm-hmm. like the dog can play the rooster but the rooster can't play the dog or like the doorbell stuff if it rings three times then and there's no one there then there won't be someone there a fourth time but on the fourth time it actually restarts so it's always the first and you're like wait what yeah yeah it doesn't count (laughs) right but that's quantum physics stuff 
like he's he's getting in which is at the time was new and was sort of just becoming uh, uh known by anyone besides you know the few who held it right it was actually being published and being able to be read and understood by other people and he's kind mm-hmm. of doing that and, and and to use time uh in the way that he does is is just kind of a reference to that i feel like Hmm. And and it's interesting. I remember seeing it, and I remember the the, the that clock striking at the beginning, and how everybody kind of reacted to it. Because you get to twelve, then thirteen happens, and then people start kind of looking at each other, and then they, there's a little bit of giggling, and then you you feel uncomfortable, and then the dialogue that precedes it is just like, <laughs> what 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 the fuck's going on where are we yeah i just felt like ionesco when i read what do you said 17 times at the top first one is 17 i just felt like it it was him saying like hey guys get ready this is gonna be fucking dumb yeah (laughs) we're just weird it's just weird and and i think that that's that's what's so cool about it and that's what's so cool about those that were influenced by him this idea of absurdity as itself as an entertainment like th- yeah. it's funny as shit like i we there was an audience that just laughed our asses off seeing it <laughs> for the first time and the it was, oh, the cast was just mm, amazing and yeah. and and it flew it goes 100 miles an hour except when it doesn't like you yeah. know they're they're driving it except when they slow it down right and then it the the interesting the, the other interesting thing about all of his work is that there's spe- specificity in these things in the language and 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 playing with the absurdity of language and and the disconnect of of using language but then also he he allows for so much interpretation you can do any number of really cool things with any of these characters you can your voice the the accents the everything can be played with uh and i think that that's an amazing trick to pull off and it it, it, it's kind of he he like beckett didn't start out as a playwright he didn't study playwriting and i think that that also has this great impact and influence on on his stuff can i give you all a hot take on something I kind of realized after finishing this play for the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I decided to read it again to see if it tracked and it like kind of does, I guess. I don't know. I had to fit. I was retrofitting a lot of this. But so we we're talking about time mm-hmm. and we have multiple. We have 17 chimes. We have 29 chimes. We have, you know, these different numbers of chimes. What time is it? Doesn't exist the characters make reference to the fact that there really isn't time. They don't really know what time is. Time doesn't really exist for them, which is why they're kind of saying the same things over and over again with different, it's almost like they're all of the dimensions happening at once kind of thing. But what I realize is the fireman comes in, the fire chief comes in and he does have time. He Um, actually ends up telling them what time it is. He's the only one who like possesses the concept or the construct of time. So I decided what if he's like a demon and this is hell and he is sort of or like this is like a limbo Mm -hmm. of some sort that they're just living in and he's sort of this no exit valet 
right? The Jean-Paul Sartre play, No mm -hmm. Exit. There's I love a valet that who, Yeah, it's phenomenal. I played the valet once, and I only got the part because cool. my hair was bright red at the time. Love it. Um, or did I dye it for the part? No, I had it before. Um, and I, uh, I, I think there's a take there. I just don't think as a director you could ever make reference to that in any way, or it would right away read wrong to an audience but, but maybe not maybe but maybe it's rather than leaning into it it is a way to guide your actors as a it's director. a basement yeah it's yeah like a it's, it's, a, it's a great it would be a great simple objective slash goal for an actor to to play yeah. as they're walking into that room and play mm -hmm. it that way right um interesting that's really cool i like uh, that i don't yeah. know yeah. Speaking of International Masturbation Day, um, mm. I wanted to share something with y'all that gave me a total actor boner reading yes. this. I love actor he boners. Has a, <laughs> he has a couple stage directions that are antagonistic with one another. Um, <laughs> uh, like there, I wrote two of them down. Uh, Mr. Barton says, oh, charming. He either kisses or does not kiss Mrs. Smith. And then another <laughs> one was Mrs. Smith. Yes, yes. Mrs. Smith falls on her knees sobbing. Or else she does not do this. I implore you. And I love it because <laughs> there's three different directions there, right? You mm -hmm. do it, you don't, or you think about doing it, and then maybe you decide not to. And I think there's a million other degrees in between that. Yeah. And my actor boner truly came from, if you were doing this show with actors that you were really vibing with and rolling with, I think it would be fun to be like, and I know that there's other stage directions that are like that in here where it's like, hey, guys, I might do it this way and I might do it that way. And it might change that beat. It might change the last chunk of the play. But I just fucking loved that stuff. They made me laugh out loud. That's it was fucking great. It's fucking great. I love it. <laughs> I love this play. I really did, man. And it was it was great to, to read through it again. Um, I will say that when I saw it in Chicago and they do the restart, because originally in the original end. At the end, yeah. yeah. So originally, it didn't have a restart. Then, mm. it, then he added the restart. But at first, it was a literal restart with Mr. and Mrs. Smith restarting. Oh and no! Then, I love yeah. That and the then Martins it was like become the Smith. Yeah, it was like around the one hundredth episode. He was like, ah, that's the answer. And then mm. right. Restart. And so when that's... they did that, with most of the audience being aware of Ionesco, they went a good ten minutes in. They go they, and it was it was a slow count and I heard the director, the stage manager afterwards, like out on the sidewalk, going, "Yeah, yeah, we set up a ten minute fade to black." Yeah, so it was a, a slow, ten minute fade to black. I slow, fucking and, love it. And they just kept and they kept going until it was pitch black. They oh, went, they that went is through so... and then and, and and the audience just you start laughing because you know what's going on. Oh man, that's you're reacting me hard. totally. I love that. I love it, it that. It was sexy. It was sexy, and since it's such a tight show anyway, yeah. Um, it didn't it didn't bother anybody. It wasn't like you know I've sat through four hours of Hamlet and now well yeah they're gonna start again. The ghost. It's the closing back. dance number in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream. Right, right, the exact yeah, same yeah, thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's the what is that called? It's like the 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 uber mix the ultra mix or something ultra mi yeah 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 i did that tw over 20 years ago so wow i i've done that show too many times <laughs> do you guys like did show. you guys know the story of i did i did joseph i did a whole i played God. jacob 
I've been in the kids' choir twice. <gasps> I I played Levi. I played Levi. Hey. Yeah. I was Gad's wife. Nice. <laughs> Tracks. I was married to somebody. That was Gad, it. I, I heard Gad's Gad's wife. She's a slat. Slat. Total. She's a total She's, slat. She is a chain smoking slat. Um, <laughs> so this slat. is interesting. Do you guys know the story about the title? No. Uh, Soprano? I, I, I did uh, vaguely, but I, is this confirmed? This is, it's legend and, and I'm going to take it because I read it okay, multiple times. It. So, All right. So basically, it's uh, here. I'll, I'll read you the quote. Its actual yeah. title was the result of an error in rehearsal by actor Henri Jacques Huet. Uh, the fire chief's monologue initially uh, included a mention of l'instructrice blonde, the blonde school teacher, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Hugh had said uh, la cantatrice chauve, and Ionesco was present at that rehearsal and was like, "Bald soprano, I'm sticking it. We're going to do it." And Keeping that's it. The, like, and I love stories like that if if it's if it's not true i don't fucking want to know about it because it's great great. there's another story that goes that when he was being interviewed somebody was like you know what's that title about and his answer was yeah notice how there isn't one in the show (laughs) (laughs) and they were like can you expound on that and he's like well there isn't one there isn't one There's not, uh, there's um, not about Soprano. Uh, speaking of that fire chief's monologue, that monologue was infuriating, but clever. And also like, it's like the begats and Genesis, but it's also telling a story the whole time. Yeah. 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 Where it's just that list of people and their relationships, but it tells all the story that you need to know. That must be so fucking hard to memorize. Yeah. And fun, you know, to 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 do. I think that 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 whole that whole second half, as the language starts to devolve and unravel, and you get into the cacas, 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 like it's just like and like like the performance that I saw that in Chicago was just like they just were going on. They all had intentions. They were, were they all, just rolling, 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 or did they, they were rolling? But they it was it was specific. The the doings were specific. They were each yeah, trying to affect the other actors in some That's way, cool. and it just they just all kept unraveling, 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 until eventually you were kind of out of character um, at the end, which is kind of what the point is, I think. Well, that is it, right? They're all kind of meant to be one person by the end, and in a, or one entity, one whatever, to the point where they're chanting together. Right, right. Lines. And that's why I brought up Cleansed earlier, because Cleansed is the one that's all about, the Sarah Kane play that's all about identity and mixing of identity and these people mm-hmm. literally becoming each other remember right mm-hmm. wasn't that cleansed i'm thinking yes of yeah 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 yes um, yes you're right yes. yeah and sorry guys uh, my old cat won't shut up i can't even hear okay beauty but i want some kisses <laughs> <laughs> um uh but what oh what what, what, what was no, it's fine. What what was happening? You were talking about a single, a single entity, the idea of becoming a time single is it? entity. Yeah. What? Ding, like in Cleanse, where they became one ding, another. Ding, one another. Ding, it's four. Four. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So <laughs> okay. So 29 times. It's four o'clock. Yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> um, no, we, uh, but yeah, it, it is all about identity and about sort of them all becoming one thing, which is why I love the ending the martins mm-hmm. becoming 
the Smiths and it just starting all over. And it's, it doesn't even matter who these people are. It's just people. These are people. They're English. Fucking English people. <laughs> Fucking white people. And then it's, you know, and I, I just love that the, like that his vibe was language isn't the way to communicate. Right. That he, that there's a break that, that no matter what happens in the world, if we're all trying to speak different languages, that there's going to be a breakdown. And guess what? When you try and speak the same language and it's, filled with ridiculousness you know especially english english is all kinds of fucked yeah. up it don't make no sense yeah at all. yeah yeah and so and and to, to play with that and to play with it so so brilliantly i i was going to mention a, a friend of mine saw it in in paris i don't know if you saw the longest <laughs> running but saw it in french perform and he's like it was He's like the rhythms of the words. There's so much repetition and mm-hmm. things repeated in the way that the actors were hitting those. That he's like, I, it didn't matter. Like his, he spoke a little French, certainly more than me. But he was like, you just, you just got lost in in the rhythms and the, the performances. Music. So much of it, and then and you were just laughing and that absurdity. The experience of knowing what the play was generally, but listening to it in the original French, he was just like, "It's that sounds great. rad." Yeah. I will. Uh, there were two lines that stood out to me that I was like, "Oh, there he is saying a little bit of something there." Um, the first one was, um, "I can't do that either. He's not English. He's only been naturalized, and naturalized citizens have the right to have houses, but not the right to have them put out if they're burning." <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah. And I wrote fuck and I said or am I high right now which that was also what was going on. I mean well, yeah but yeah. like it's it's kind of fun to hide those little nuggets. Beckett does it too um oh, yeah. in the sure. lucky lucky failed speech right which we'll probably talk about later too which it it it's like throwing in your little sort of like oh yeah also I feel this way about this fucking thing mm-hmm. and if you caught it you caught it if you didn't fuck you. Mm-hmm. Um can we talk about the Bobby Watson bit? Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite part of the whole show. Because <laughs> they're talking about Bobby Watson and Bobby Watson's wife, whose name is Bobby, Bobby Watson, Watson, Bobby Watson's daughter, whose name is Bobby, Bobby Watson, Watson, Bobby Watson's parents, whose names are Bobby Watson, <laughs> and Bobby Watson's aunt, whose name is Bobby Watson. And it just goes and go, and you're like, oh. Um, but this felt so much like a Monty Python sketch. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. this is, uh, you know, the uh, the what is it the the silly walks um yeah the silly walk scene or, establishment you know. of silly walks or whatever it's called the you know it's that kind of thing you know let's have an argument the place where you just go to pay to have an argument with somebody like that kind of thing <laughs> it felt very that but also kind of a send up of like naming your kid after yourself or even just names in general like meaning so much to people and i mean now obviously especially right now like identity is very very important and I know that like pronouns and names are super important to people, but like also with names, especially ones that were given at birth, like it's mm-hmm. just a sound we make to get each other's attention, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like the sound I make to talk to Scott is Scott, huh? <laughs> you know, like, Why? but I could also <laughs> call him Scotch and I could uh-huh. also call him, hey, hey, baby bear. Legs. And he would know exactly who, I, hey, hey, Pooh, yeah. hey, Pooh bear. He would know exactly who the fuck I'm talking to. So I, my, my point in saying this is it that felt very like him having kind of a beef with something that doesn't really matter, but he just kind of wanted to have it out. <laughs> like, names. I don't really care about this, but like, fuck names. Like, fuck the name fuck Eugene. Names, right? Yeah, I hate my name Eugene. Fuck that name. 
uh bobby watson that shit's funny um anything else you guys want to talk about bald soprano because we should move on to the chairs if not yeah no yeah. I, I i love it i think you should read it i i would love to do this fucking play i want to i felt it was the it. funniest play for mm. sure i'm gonna pitch this in the next five years to direct somewhere maybe okay. fools because right. this is a this is a fun one i'd really love to touch yeah here, here. I'd, li I'd like to fondle it yeah well yeah in a in a very appropriate consenting way yes uh, yes consent is sexy so so two years later 1952 he writes a play called the chairs and uh i just i think we should take a moment to uh break that shit down CJ's breakdown. A married old man and woman frantically prepare chairs for a series of invisible guests who are coming to hear an important orator reveal the meaning of life. Yeah, and it yeah. even the way you just described it, very Godoshian. Yeah. It is, yeah. And it's, you know, I read the set, I was look, because I always like to look up the settings for these, which these kind of like Beckett's are a little more like vague. But I read somewhere that this is supposed to be set in a lighthouse. Did I miss oh. that? Yeah, did I miss that somewhere? I mean, Let me see. I missed that. Out the window, it's, and they're constantly talking about the water and everything. It's on an it's island. They say it's pretty clear that it's on an island, but I don't know. Okay. That you, no, I, I, I guess that could easily be a choice <clears throat> that a team would make. But no, it's the space because they go, oh, no, there's a movie theater and a restaurant here, too. Like they get weird with it. Like the, I, I took it as as a little bit more obscure than that. This one, as opposed to Rhinoceros, which we will talk about later in part two and um, uh, the Bald Soprano, which is very specific in its location. This is the most sort of Beckett like setting for something this is sort of slightly otherworldly you can maybe even see the influence that Beckett has on him but I don't know if it's specifically a lighthouse well I think if you also wanted to get even more and I guess reading the lighthouse thing made me think even more clearly about it um especially that they're specifically said to be 94 and 95 in the story mm -hmm. they're in the in the description I even, if you wanted to even get a little bit more literal with it, I even took it as like a very, very old married couple that are both like losing it and have dementia and they play into each other's, like, you know, whatever it is that they're, Yeah. they talk about their past a lot. They act out in crazy ways. They've imagined all of these guests that are coming in to visit them and they have all of these specific pasts with so many of them. This one does, you're right, this one feels more grounded in a reality of like two people who are not in reality. Like mm -hmm. two people who are sort Ooh, of- Ooh, that's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like two people who are sort of falling off the edge. Like I, I brought up M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit before, which, you know, it's these two grandparents who are um, watch the movie. It's great, but it's, uh, uh, they're kind of just off and you don't really know why. And they're kind of falling into madness. And I think that could be read. This could be read that way, you know, I, until the end when you think it's very know. open, obviously you mm -hmm. can do whatever the hell you wanted with it. Almost. Yeah. But it's like, what's in their mind? What isn't? Because obviously a lot of this is in their mind, these people or these characters and whatnot. So I agree. I think, I think there could definitely be a take on this where it's just too, people kind of falling into madness together mm -hmm. like that well, take yeah i, I, I think play. we it was like i was saying earlier the the room that he gives he, he allows a, a wide berth for 
acting choices, directing choices. He's very specific in a lot of his things, but you know, it's even things like the chairs, like the design stuff that you could do with the chairs or the yeah. interior or the doors and all that stuff. But I, I found this was the most sobering of his plays in sure. that Agreed. it's Agreed. very much about, as we were talking about, it's, it's very much about memory and grief. It's about false memory. It's about changing memories and m- sort of making up things that weren't necessarily true. I think it's right. about regret. I think it's about th- uh, expectations that that we put on ourselves as individuals, but the ones that are put on society as a whole and men and women and men and women who are together, you know, do they have a son or don't they have a son? They right. literally it's, it's contradict. It's very, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. <laughs> it is. Like, it is like, you know, and you can, yeah, I'll, I'll be, yeah, that's not, we're not too far off in terms of time, but yeah, there's sort and of, there's some, there's some buried child in there too. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. Um, Thematic. I also, um, I thought it was, a, I thought he had a very political message too in that. And I guess I'm more focusing on the old man story. Um, is the whole concept of um, royalty or the government or leaders don't give a shit about you. You live and die to serve your country, and it means absolutely nothing. Right. Right, and just, you know, we've seen it through COVID, how we sort of backhand our elderly and our... our, our elders, you know, what do we do with them? We put them in, in hospices and we put them in, in these places and then a pandemic happens and they're the first ones to get hit, Yeah, you know, yeah. and shit's bad. And we, and we don't know how to handle it very well. Cause we're just like, Oh, they're just, they're just old people. And it's like, well, no, they're people yeah. who lived on this earth through a lot of beautiful history and bad history and trauma and need us, you know, but, and we need them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I could diatribe forever. But uh, I kept thinking of my parents reading mm-hmm. this because mm-hmm. my dad and my mom sit in chairs all day. And uh, it's a little more end game than it is the chairs, I guess. But they sit <laughs> and my dad just kind of retells stories <laughs> from yeah. from when they were young because they've been together since first grade. You know, wow. so they just they know everything about each other. But so he's just sort of like. Remember this? He's a member, Barry. Remember? Remember? He's like, remember remember when this happened? Yeah, I do. Let's talk about it for an hour. You know, and I don't know. I'm talking shit on my parents. But it just made me think about sort of like the sadness of of the clockwork of memory and and Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge thing. Because she, the old woman, takes salt every night to try and forget his stories right yeah, she successfully he's, forgets yeah every night. and he yeah. has keeps expressing he keeps saying over and over again that he has a distaste for history and yeah. they both clearly have just enormous regrets about where things are but i again i think it's in a slightly i took it as a slightly skewed reality universe right. as opposed to uh, a more literal one well it's and- like Go ahead, go ahead. Well, going back to what you were saying about your parents, too, and now this play is making me think about it a little bit more, is how it not only how we treat the elderly, but also how we treat ourselves as we age. Sure. So you sit around and tell stories of the past, but it's like, well, get, go out and make some new memories. Like, yeah. 
I know like my mom in particular, when she retired, you know, I, you hear it all the time. People have a hard time when they retire, all of a sudden they're like depressed and don't know what to do with themselves. And yeah. it's like, you know, the possibilities are endless, but it's like, no, I'm too old or I've been doing one thing for too long. And then you're just sad all the time. And we kind of societally tell them that too. Yeah. And so yeah. then they're, they, it's reinforced by so much. Yeah. And this play really hits at like the, I wrote a note. Let me read the note because <laughs> yeah. I won't say it right. Yeah. Do it. The limits of the working memory in accordance in <laughs> the <laughs> triple it. The limits <laughs> the limits of the working memory in accordance with the limits of one person's set perspective. Mm. And I, w what I mean by that it, like it kind of for like example, it goes into the, like the delusion of say the Republican party right now. Uh, or Trump, the Trump party uh, right now, and the inability to like see truths because of a blindness you've created for yourself, or hmm. perhaps has been societally put on you, um, but you've created this bubble around you, and therefore your set perspective is how you perceive time, it's how you perceive everything. So then, I don't know where I'm really headed with this in terms of this play, but I was just thinking of like, like, their perspectives are so set that the, they can't do anything else but live in this clockwork. This it's, is it it's like it's them. it's like a catch twenty two. They've created an illusionary existence to escape the real one, but the real one was putting unreal expectations on them. There's 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 this thing that I think happens as you get older in life where you you sort of you, you're doing your checklist of what have I accomplished? What's how have I contributed to the greater good? But that's not that's not necessarily realistic for for most human beings. For most human beings, the <laughs> the accomplishment is merely surviving, you know, and I don't mean that, right. that that is is life without a joy or life without doing things or experiences, but that that's that the simplicity of that gets lost and the simplicity of everyday people, especially as you're getting older and you're being dismissed by the world because you're an older people um, puts huge pressures and guilt, you know, so that. You know, you, you've avoided he the, the man, the old man's kind of avoided responsibilities and that is now weighing on him. But yeah, it, 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 it inverts on itself, too, in a weird fucking way. Absolutely. I, I feel like we can get a little deeper or we can go on uh, to to close this out and and finish the chairs on the next episode. I yeah, think we I've got some I think stuff. That's a great I've got some idea. cool quotes I want to talk about. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll finish this out, but we might as well say goodbye until next time. <laughs> Thank you for joining <laughs> us for part one of Rhinocercast. Rhinocercast. I guess I should have saved that voice for Williams. What was the voice I was doing earlier? Thank you for joining us for part one. Join us next week for part two, where we will be finishing discussing the chairs, and we will move on to, uh, is it 59, 58, 1958? I had 60 yeah. down. Well, <laughs> fuck me. Rhinoceros. We're going to be talking about rhinoceros. Um, and then uh, after that, 
we're going to have a bonus episode of Theater, Theater, and Stuff, with the, which is a Scott pick, which is what, Scott? Talk radio, Eric Bogosian's 1987 masterpiece. <laughs> well, ma- masterpiece. It's a hell of a play. It's it a is piece. a hell of a play. <laughs> it's a hell of a, it's a, hell of a play. <laughs> Pulitzer Prize-nominated play. And, uh, yeah, Siege? Uh, do y'all have questions, comments? Do you have suggestions of things that we could do? Do you have any corrections? Do you just want to say hi and tell us how great the show is? Please email us. You can message us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. We would love to hear from you. Scott? Um, yeah, I want to do a real quick... Um... L.A. Spotlight. Uh, it's not really so much an L.A. Spotlight. It's more of a California Spotlight. But if you are a supporter of small theater and arts organizations in California, uh, please contact your uh, representative uh, regarding SB 805. Um, it is a state bill, and it's basically um, could change uh, the state of, of theater and um, performing arts in California um, if it's passed, um, and we could use all the support we could get. All that being said, I would love to give a big shout out to the fantastic, the brilliant Pamela Quinn for writing mm-hmm. our uh, Ionesco special song, which you are about to hear. Uh, a big super, super, super shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song with all it's true. respect. And finally, to the great, the brilliant Annie Baker for writing our podcast. She doesn't know she writes a podcast, but she writes our podcast. And one she day, knows. maybe she knows. Um, she knows. I can't wait to meet. Her. And we're going to buy her a beer, CJ. We're going right. to buy her a beer. We're going to fly her out. Um, we're not going to fly her <laughs> out. We have no money. Who's for paying that. for that? Annie Baker could probably, she could probably wing it. We can find an excuse for her to come to Los Angeles. Anyway, all that being said, thank you. We love y'all. Please go rate, subscribe, and review. Uh, never forget that mouths and butts are very much the same thing. Mouths and butts are the Let same me clarify. Things. Let me clarify. Mouths and anuses are the same thing, Thanks. technically. Yeah. yeah. So that means that butts and faces are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Butt face. We'll get into that next time. It's a whole discussion that needs to happen, but we love you guys. Does it so need much. to happen? Yeah. It does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Wipe off all that stupid lipstick. Return the earrings to their case. Makeup won't make any difference. This is lovely, Bailey. It's still the same old face. Isn't it funny? (laughs) Isn't it funny? And and we're fading. And we're fading. For 10 minutes. You believe that it was real. Everyone's changing and they all stay the same. We all stay the same. We're all insane, but we're okay for now. Soon we're gonna change our bodies rearranged. It's all so very strange. We're here, we're there, we're everywhere, and still nowhere. Just handle, please, with care. Before you smash the pieces on the ground to silence the sound of sense, it's nonsense. Don't look for meaning when you look for meaning Ignore the screaming, but listen to it too Remember me and you, we all are gonna change It's strange